Hello everybody and welcome to season two of the Full Metal Lockdown podcast. That was a little too. So many in fact I had to take a breath in the middle. On this week's episode we have Chris Porchenko from Vanishing Point on the show as our inaugural guest for season two. We have him back next week as well because as always we do two-parter interviews on this show. But uh, enough of me yammering and talking a lot of shit about a lot of shit. What do you say we kick off the show? This is Chris from Vanishing Point. You're listening to... The Full Metal Lockdown Podcast. Presented by Tom Roberts. Crank it up. All metal and mostly Aussie. Thank you all for sticking around and listening to the Full Motor Lockdown podcast. Thank you for all those who have uh, subscribed via iTunes or just go to Podbean every week and get the podcast. But seriously, the easiest way to do it is go to podcast uh, iTunes, get the podcast app, subscribe to it, and it's downloaded to your device each and every week that I do it even though I've just taken four to five weeks off. But uh, what a way to kick off the show. I'm kicking it off in a really abnormal way for me because uh, six years ago, my niece was born, my uh, very first niece. Now I've got two, and I've got two, three nephews as well, and a daughter of my own. But uh, the reason why it's unique, at 6.19pm on... September 1st, which was technically yesterday, once this podcast is up, it's now as I'm recording this, my niece was born, and uh, in fact, I was doing a radio show in Orange, New South Wales at the time, and uh, I actually played a song for her, I'm not going to play it today because it's not metal, but uh, and I only do metal on this show. But uh, it's just unique to me that I'm doing a uh, podcast or an internet radio show when I was doing a radio show live when she was born. It's, yeah, freaky to me. But anyway, happy birthday, Bella Rose Marie Bugden. Uh, I hope all your wishes came true today and you got everything you ever wanted. And uh, I'm glad we video called before I came down to record this because uh, we want to see you on your birthday. I've seen you on every other birthday. And uh, yeah, all the love from Uncle Tom, Aunty Taylor, and your little baby cousin Amelia. Yeah. But uh, another thing I wanted to talk about, have you seen this? Have you heard about this? Yeah, that's right. Soundwave has released... Their lineup for 2015, and uh, or most of it anyway, and what a lineup it is. I mean, like, uh, it's split into two days, uh, something that uh, I think is gonna work very well for the festival. It can show all the fuckers up about, oh, there's too many clashes. <laughs> Fuck you, shut up, don't bother to get if you're gonna complain that much. Anyway, uh, sorry, rant. Uh, so day one for Sydney, my city, 
day two for uh, Melbourne and Adelaide, but day one for my city is uh, headlined by Fagner Moore and Soundgarden. I'm more excited about Soundgarden. I'm not a big fan of Faith No More, but because I think Mike Patton is an absolute tosser, but I respect them. Yes, I do respect them. They have done a lot in this industry. Uh, supported by Incubus, Lamb of God, Ministry, and Atmospheric. Uh, Jared Way from My Chemical Romance, Mayhem. Newfound Glory and Fear Factory. Now, AJ did say on this show that Fear Factory are pretty much locked in. So, he wasn't telling a fib about that. Uh, Hollywood Undead, Treyu, The Aquabats, Area 7, Godflesh. Uh, Crown the Empire, The Interrupters, uh, uh, Icon for Hire. Emily's Army, Patent Pending, Fireworks, The Bennies, The Cullum Morale, Monuments, Nothing More, Turf Stars, Near Scolaris, good on you boys, uh, and The Treatment. Uh, congratulations to Nia for getting on the lineup. Uh, that's huge, they're on the national tour. Uh, Day two in Sydney. Now the second headliner hasn't been named because he he did admit on this show that there are going to be four headliners. However, he later on went to admit that it looks like there's only going to be three, and the fourth headliner is made up by Slash Marilyn Manson on the second day. But it's uh, Slipknot who have headlined along with Sarah Garden once before. Uh, sorry, Faith No More have headlined once before. Same with Slipknot. Uh, Slash, Marilyn Manson, Fallout Boy, who everybody thought was going to be the major headliner. Seriously, it's Fallout Boy. They weren't going to be the major headliner. I'm not a fan. They are a big band. I'm really not a fan. I think the music is bubblegum shit. Uh, but, you know, they are popular. Uh, Judas Priest, who are... Uh, Surprisingly, I thought they would be at the top, like with Mal above, like with Manson and Slash and Fallout Boy, but they're not, and like they're still up there. So yeah, but they Rob Halford, damn, that makes me want to go just for that. Uh, Godsmack, All Time, Live, Papa Rage, A Master Man, Escape the Fate, Apocalyptica. I'm putting money on it right now. Corey Taylor from Slipknot appears on stage during every apocalyptic set to sing I'm Not Jesus. Yep. Uh, he did a song with Apocalyptica. I'm putting money on it that he will perform with them at Soundwave, which makes me want to see their set. And if you don't know who Apocalyptica are, I, I will forgive you, but uh, go to YouTube and look them up. Uh, seriously, it's like metal done with cellos and violas and violins, and now they've added a drum kit, but uh, it's classical music done in a metal way, uh, but not like uh, Megadeth and Metallica playing with uh, orchestras, this is different, yeah, just 
go check it out. Anyway, um, yeah, uh, lag wagon. Tonight alive, cross faith, butcher babies, confession, the swellers, uh, conditions, cauldron, uh, king eight ten, day shell, and the wildlife. Uh, this day two lineup is a bit light, if you ask me. So I'm thinking that the second lineup announcement that wasn't meant to happen, but bands were late getting all the information in, according to AJ's Twitter. Uh, my bet is that a lot of them uh, for day two, uh, oh, day two for Sydney and Brisbane, day uh, one for. Uh, sorry, shit, I can't even remember. Yeah, I keep fucking up. i got to look at the poster again. It's, uh, wait a sec. It's day two for Melbourne and Brisbane. Uh, day one, sorry, for Melbourne and Brisbane. Day two for Adelaide and Sydney. So, yeah, uh, the second line, the majority will appear on that is my bet. Don't lock that in. I don't have any insider secrets when it comes to that. Uh, but I think that day two's lineup is a little bit uh, light, if you ask me. But it doesn't have as many people on it or as many bands on it. But uh, yeah, uh, the dates moving it through a two day festival. So when it's on a Sydney, it's on a Brisbane at the same time. And then the next day, uh, Slipknot comes to perform in Sydney and Fathom or Sour Garden, and their supporters go to uh, Brisbane. And then in Adelaide and Perth, the same thing, they swap the day after. It happens on uh, March 1st and February 28th. 8th or 9th? No, next year's not a league period, so February uh, 28th. And then in uh, Adelaide and Melbourne, it's Saturday and Sunday, February 21st and 22nd. Uh, so yeah, go to their website, find out all the information about their ticketing. Uh, I'm not sure how many left. I don't think many would be left. Uh, it it's 180 for two days or 120 for a one-day pass. I don't think there are many left. So, uh, yeah. But go check it out. Uh, and hopefully it, uh, or it will sell out. Because there's no, no major competitor with it next year. And Kyle San unless you fat fuck. Your festival does not hold a fucking candle. You're doing one day inside the Orphans Arena. Which is uh, like what fifteen thousand at the most, and you probably won't sell out because you got fucking Miley Cyrus and that cock breath, fucking Red Foo as your headliners. Seriously, and you reckon it's gonna compete on the level? He actually thinks that it's gonna compete on the level of Big Down and Soundwave, which are both like monster fifty, sixty thousand person. Festivals that do multiple dates in multiple cities. You're a fucking fat idiot. Shut your mouth. Go home. Eat yourself to death. No one gives a fuck about you. Sorry, I went on a rant.
Uh, yeah. So, uh, this show has been on a break for the last few weeks. Uh, in between seasons. During that break, I, uh, I turned, uh, how old did I turn? 25. Yes, I turned 25. Quarter of a century old. I'm married with a kid and I'm a quarter of a century old and I feel young still. Uh, but anyway, uh, on that, I got a new, uh, recording gizmo, a Zoom H4N and a new microphone and stuff. And that means I can record, um, live interviews. Yeah. I can record live interviews. How cool is that? But anyway, uh, yeah, so what did I do during the break? I sold a car. I, uh, <laughs> I ran into a garden in, uh, my driveway is extremely steep and I was coming up and I wasn't focusing on the things around me and I had Frankenbach, the end of all you know. In my CD player in my car, I was focusing more on the music, and uh, before I realised that I was at a really fucked up angle, so I tried to correct it, and then I ran into the garden and ripped the front bumper off my car. Ouch! I've, yeah, I fucked up my car royally. Um, what else did I do during the break? I got a PS4. A PlayStation 4. I also got an NSK Neo Geo X, uh, which is this really cool live vintage arcade uh, home console. Yeah, it's friggin' awesome. And uh, yeah, I didn't really do much during the break. I slept a lot. Um, and yeah, I turned a year older. So, uh, and my nephew had a birthday as well. Happy birthday, Ethan. Uh, you little champion, you. Yeah. So, uh, in case you can't tell, I, uh, I, I uh, really do love my um, nieces and nephews and my daughter. But, that being said, yes, I did get a bunch of new gear. I got my Zoom H4N, which is this awesome little transportable recorder. I got a new microphone, I'm gonna get another one as well. Windshields, the whole works. I'm getting uh, a bunch of new stuff. And uh, you know what this allows me to do? Uh, this allows me to do live interviews. So, not all of them are gonna be over the phone this year, hopefully. Uh, a few of them I'm gonna travel and get. Uh, I've got a couple lined up for later in the year. Hopefully, uh, this season, they land on this season. Hopefully, they, uh, do, some of them probably won't, because I'll run out of time. I'm taking December off. So, no matter what, no matter how many episodes have aired this season, uh, episode, uh, from December 1st through to New Year's Day, I'm off. No matter what, uh, my daughter's birthday falls in December, then Christmas, and then a bunch of other commitments as well. So I'm taking the month off because it's really, really fucking hectic for me. But yeah, um, this week's, uh, this week, 
for the first season of uh sorry for the second season of the Full Metal Lockdown podcast. We are bringing back every week, every every single goddamn week. We are bringing back the Full Metal Lockdown band of the week. Yep. Uh, and this week's Full Metal Lockdown band of the week. I went to Facebook. I asked you who should be the band of the week. The rules are they have to be from Australia and be independent. Uh, I only got two answers. Uh, I forgot to mention number rule is you can't unwind it before. There's a reason for that. At the end of the year, I'm going to draw the uh, Full Metal Lockdown Band of the Year. And the winners will get contacted by me. And I will get an address and I'll send you out like a little award. Yeah, that's right. I'm making an award. And I'm going to make a uh, plaque of my own where I'm going to put every Band of the Year winner on there. And hang it in my man cave. Uh, not not for prestige, not for anything, not the same like a tool or anything. Just because I want to, you know, like because, like yeah, I think it's a cool concept, and yeah, I I want to do it. But anyway, um, this week's band of the week is a band, uh, doom metal, and death metal band from Melbourne. They're called. Uh, uh, sorry, I, uh, I'm, <laughs> it's one of those names that I'm going to struggle to announce and, uh, pronounce, and I'll probably pronounce it wrong, but Frolian, Frolian, yeah, we'll call them Frolian, uh, they're on Facebook, I'll chuck up their, uh, the link on the page and yeah check them out from Leon from Melbourne and yeah uh yeah is moshing a lost art form I asked Chris Porchenko in my interview that will air later on in this episode that exact question is moshing a lost art form uh it People say, oh, it's not an art form. I'm saying that figuratively. Uh, I believe it is. And uh, as Greg Troll from Dreadnought put it, uh, the pit ninjas are the ones that are ruining it for everyone. Uh, he described pit ninjas as the guys that could just go into a mosh pit and flail their arms and the legs around. Uh, and do dance moves in the mosh pit, uh, the picking up the coins and all that crap, the, uh, the, uh, if my fist hit you, it's your own fault kind of thing. Um, yeah, I, I might be, uh, a cynic and I might not get this whole, like, new kid on the block thingy, uh, but I believe mosh pits aren't made for hurting other people. They're made for getting your angst and your frustration out while you're at one of your favorite band shows. 
uh, if you know what I mean, like um, a sound wave, they're not made for giant circle pits that result in you knocking someone out. I've been knocked out in a mosh pit before, a couple of times. Only once was by a dickhead in the pit. The other times were because I, uh, I've been knocked out three times. Once because I copped their elbow to the face by accident. Another one because uh, a dude asked, was like, oh yeah, tackle me for no reason. And he thought it was me that hit him. And it wasn't me, surprisingly enough, and he hit me back. But that was all in good fun, if you know what I mean. Like, it wasn't fun at the time. It fucking hurt at the time. But there was no anger or anything involved. There was no malice involved in either of those, except for maybe the guy getting revenge. But when he learned it wasn't me, he took me to St. John's and got me woken up and apologised and bought me a beer back when I drank. Um, yeah, so... Uh, so these days, uh, guys getting the and girls getting the mush pit, uh, and fold their legs and arms around and don't give a shit about their brothers and sisters in that pit. Like I've said before, circle pits, you run the wall of death. That's a whole different story. Um, that's just made for fun. You don't. I've seen people take their bells off and wrap around their fists during a roll of death. You don't do that. I've seen people pull their keys out and put it between their knuckles during a roll of death. It's called a wall of death, but don't take it literally. Don't hurt someone. Just run into them and shoulder barge and massage you fucking can. If someone is drunk enough and stupid enough to see in the middle, point the fucking wall at him. It's all in good fun, and it's made to get your angst out and your your frustration out. It's, yeah, it's made, like, uh, Chris goes into more depth in the interview, and I don't want to steal his thunder, but I just want to get my point of view out. If you have a point of view on washing, if you think it, is a lost art form or it's just gotten better with that age and you're one of those kids that get in there and flail your arms around and don't give a shit about anyone but you think I'm representing that wrong wrongly get on my Twitter it's at Tom underscore Roberts 1989 or go to the Facebook Facebook.com forward slash full metal lockdown or email me full metal lockdown at gmail.com hit me up we would discuss it. Hell, I might even call you and record the call and we'll talk about it on the air one of these weeks. Yeah, I'm willing to go that far because I think that uh, the art of moshing has been lost with the new generation of kids going into these metal shows or like, even though it's starting to take over, it's not metal, it's more hardcore. The hardcore scene is the hardcore scene. It's related to punk and not metal, and they still mosh there. Moshing is a universal thing. It can happen anywhere. I've seen it happen at a Chili Pepper show. Fuck. I've seen it happen at a rap uh, set during the big day out. 
go out before Fear Factory. It was a fucked up lineup. And anyway, uh, right before Fear Factory, a rap artist was finishing up and now I'm mushing to her. It was crazy. But anyway, uh, mosh pits are mosh pits. Join the discussion. Let me know if you think it is a lost art form or if you think I'm wrongly judging the uh, the pit ninjas. Anyway, uh, speaking of pits, the best mosh pit I've seen in a very, very long time. It was crazy. It was fucking insane. But I say that in a very good way. Yeah. Uh, I went to, I mentioned it last season, and one day I drove there and back uh, to Penrith, which is about a five hour drive, uh, there and back, and I went there to see Whiskey Smile, uh, uh, oh shit, I've forgotten the second band, oh El Diablo, that rings a bell, Red Bee and King Parrot, anyway, the two main ones, Red Bee and King Parrot, Red Bee, an old-fashioned mosh pit was just breaking out, and just people running into each other, not punching each other, just getting there and all their energy out, and no one got seriously injured, there was probably a few bumps and bruises, probably a few cuts and scrapes, but that was all good fun, and then uh, King Parrot popped up, and I thought, no, Red B wore everyone out. There's no way anybody's got any G left for King Parrot. I was wrong. Matt Young can get a crowd in the palm of his hand and tell them to do anything he wants. I'm, it's been a long time since I've seen a front man be able to do that. Anyway, um, and Slats on the base, he helps. Like, he's just as charismatic and just as uh, controlling of the crowd. But not controlling it in a bad way, controlling it in a good way. And the crowd was going mental to the guys that were stage driving, they were moshing. But all in a very good way, in a very safe way. Anyway, um, as I was saying, uh, Red Bee and Kim Parrot, they just had the crowd in their hands. And at any moment, like, they could have stopped me and said, and said, okay, we're not playing any more songs. And the crowd would have been disappointed, as any crowd would be, that their concert has been cut short. But Red Bear and King Parrot could have spun it to them to make them feel like they made the decision, if you know what I mean, so that they don't feel bad. And, uh, yeah, I believe that uh, King Parrot and Red B should go on a, a Australia-wide tour together. If this happens, I reckon it will be one of the most lucrative metal tours in Australia. Because you've got two of the most energetic bands on the stage. Two of the most crowd-controlling bands in Australia on the same stage playing some of the best music that is coming out of Australia at the moment and it would just be insane it would be one of those buddy tours that has been happening a lot lately like uh we saw Nine Nails and Queens at Stone Age Nine Nails and Soundgarden uh Carnival and Dead Letter Circus Lance Soho 
and Smith Street Band, uh, a bunch of others. But uh, yeah, I believe that they should do a buddy tour together. And uh, I, for one, would go to every single show that is in reach of me. Uh, but yeah. Uh, that being said, I said to uh, Matt when I talked to him up in up in Penrith, uh, bands and tours and concerts advertise on the Format of Lockdown podcast for free every single week. Without a doubt, uh, all you have to do is email me at uh, fullmetallockdown at gmail.com uh, in the subject line, put advertising. Uh, also, I'm looking for sponsors at the moment because the website is, at the moment, getting beyond my control to run. And plus, buying all the gear, it's, uh, yeah, I've got no money left, pretty much. So I'm looking for sponsors, because uh, also, and the way to uh, get a hold of me, if you want to sponsor the show, is the same, fullmetallockdown at gmail.com, or the Facebook, facebook.com forward slash fullmetallockdown subject sponsorship. And, uh, yeah, because in the future, I also want to bring out merch. Uh, if you Google it, I have started a big cartel website, uh, fullmetallockdown.bigcartel.com. Uh, two t-shirt designs are up at the moment, but they're not available as of yet. Uh, they'll become available hopefully by the end of the year. Uh... But yeah, like I said, there are two t-shirt designs and one's white, one's black, one's detailed, one's not. Uh, yeah, and they're both separate prices, but they're not cheap and that's simply because of manufacturing cost. But if I can get a sponsor, I can buy bulk and drop the price. Anyway, uh, right now we're going to... Uh, Throw it over to the interview with Chris Porchenko of Vanishing Point. Uh, so, yeah. Alrighty, so uh, on the line right now, we have Chris Porchenko from Vanishing Point, one of uh, Melbourne's foremost progressive metal bands. Uh, how you going, Chris? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Oh, I'm very good. Thank you very much. Uh I've just uh, come back off a break. The show's been on break for about a month and a bit, and I had a birthday in between, and yeah, I'm doing good. Well, happy birthday, man. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. No worries, no worries. So uh, I want to start by asking you a bit about your history in regard to metal. Like, How did you get into it? Why did you pick guitar? Like, was it a family history of playing okay. instruments, or was it just your fascination with guitar? I suppose um, several factors fell into it. More, more or less, um, my my mother and my father, my late father, but my mother who's still alive, um, they're both from Poland. So my parents are Polish. I'm from Polish background. I was born in Australia, but. Um, the first time I got into heavy metal music, more or less, was when I was in Poland back in 
1982 as a kid, and that was when it was martial law. So um, the heavy metal was definitely very much underground there as well than it was in probably even back here in Australia. And my cousin Adam, actually, um, he's still a big metal fan, but he was uh, doing a lot of tape trading, etc. And um, he had Scorpion's Blackout on tape and um, also Iron Maiden Number of the Beast. So I'll never forget it. He had, I've still got the tape after all these years as well. Um, he recorded the, the, the Blackout album for me, some songs from Number of the Beast and a whole lot of other songs from bands like UFO and Jet Throttle, etc. And... Um, and that's how I pretty much got into heavy metal. I mean, Scorpion's Blackout album, and of course, Number of the Beast for me are the, uh, uh, you know, awesome albums. You know, I mean, they're, they're, they're definitely albums that changed my life direction, more or less. Um, in regards to guitar playing, I actually got a guitar when I was five years of age from my father or my late grandmother, um, and I was very bored with it. I broke the strings and put it in the cupboard for about 10 years. Well, no, it was about eight years because when I was 12 years of age, then I took up guitar again, basically because I was misbehaving at school in my music class and the music teacher wouldn't let me in. So um, it was more or less a situation that I had to um, pick up an instrument, otherwise I was going to fail music. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I've pretty much just played guitar ever since then. By the time I was 16 years of age, I was giving uh, guitar lessons to people here and there privately and... By the time I was 18 years of age, I was giving guitar lessons full-time for a while because when I finished school, I mean, there was the, the recession that was back in 1989, so there was no work, so I had to teach guitar and play in a cover band for a while. And then um, it was basically with, with, the, with the whole journey of playing guitar, I found myself by the time I was 25 years of age as well working in a music shop two nights a week, teaching guitar there privately. Um, probably by the time I was about 27, 26, 27 years of age, by the time I joined Vanishing Point, I'd stopped giving guitar lessons because it just, you know, you occasionally get really good students who want to learn, but you also get a lot of people who just like, you know, want to play the Metallica riff over and over and over again without, um, you know, wanting to explore their ears into anything else as well. So I found it a bit frustrating, but um, yeah, just, I, I, I play guitar pretty much, uh, just by feel. I don't know much about music theory. I know Tab, of course, but, um, you know, I've been playing guitar for quite a few years now, and I still enjoy it. I don't sit and practice it every day because I've got my own business as well, so I'm busy working with that as well, and I've got a family. So as much as I'd love to sit there and practice, you know, for two, three, six hours or eight hours a day, that's just completely <laughs> not realistic, yeah. unfortunately. But I still enjoy playing guitar, and um, I've got my own little studio at home, and um, I've got you know, like 14 guitars here. So, yeah, I'm semi-professional. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, how did you come to be a part of Vanishing Point? It was an interesting story because, um, yeah, it was back in 1997, actually. Um, what had happened was that the keyboard player who used to play Vanishing Point many years ago, Pep Martino, who wrote a couple of songs for Tangled in Dream, um, he used to play in a, in a band that I had called Mindscape, which is like a progressive metal band, uh, many years ago. When Mindscape folded, there was probably about a good year and a half to two years that I was playing the guitar, but um, I actually didn't touch the electric guitar for a long time. I I got into this vibe of listening to a lot of stuff like the Tea Party, etc., and I was really into just playing the acoustic guitar for a long time. So I sort of got my chops up with that, and... Um, 
And then I was speaking to Pep one night, and he said to me, he goes, look, you know, Andrew, the guitarist from Vanishing Point, hasn't turned up for rehearsal for about three and a half, four weeks. I don't know what's going on. But maybe give them a call and see, you know, if they want to have a jam. So I said, okay, cool. So I rang up Sylvia. I got Sylvia's number off Pep and um, gave Sylvia a call. And I said, look, Sylvia, you know, I, I understand with Andrew hasn't come down. I don't want to, like, impose or anything. I said, but, you know, if you're ever looking for any guitarist to audition, I said, I'd be interested to try out for the band. He goes, cool, man, no worries, thanks for letting me know. And I'm like, yeah, cool. And we just, you know, there's a bit of chat and, you know, the talk, whatever, here or there, and then uh, we left it at that. Within about 20 minutes, the phone rang back, and Sylvia said, well, look, you know, Chris, funny you say that because we're actually rehearsing tonight, and we're wondering if you want to come down to rehearsal and just have a jam with us. And I said, yeah, shit, yeah. And that was, like, October, November, back in 97. Um, and then I think about three weeks later, I was a full-time member of the band. Oh, wow. So, yeah, I've been in the vanishing point now since 2007. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's been a while, and, um, you know, it's had its ups and downs and all that type of stuff, too, as, as it does with any band. Um, spent a lot of money, made some money, lost a lot of money. Um, <laughs> typical story, you know. I'm still here doing it and still enjoying it to a degree, yeah. It's all good. So, uh, were you in the band when uh, Vanishing Point played Rockin'? Or Rockin', however you... Yes, I was, yes. So, uh, when you went over there, uh, who else was on the bill? Like, who was the headliner that year? Oh, man. Just trying to think now. Um, back then, you had the headliners. Well, I think Gamma Ray was one of the headliners of Rockin' back then. Um, and you had... Jeez, I'm just trying to think. You had Rhapsody, which were pretty big. Stradivarius was on that same festival. Um, they, they were, you know, very big at that time, too. They were one of the big, you know, headliners. Um, and then, of course, you had, like, you know, like your death metal bands, death metal bands like Hypocrisy, etc., and also your black metal bands like Marduk, and um, I'm just trying to think who else. I'm, you know, I'm really tapping my mind here, but you... You basically had that time that the, the, the black metal and the symphonic uh, black metal scene was really gaining momentum. So a lot of them bands were playing the festivals, but you know, like Morbid Angel headlined that festival as well. Um, you know, and there was us and a whole lot of other bands as well. So it was awesome to be part of it, man. To be honest with you, it was, I'm, I still shake my head thinking about it, just going, "Wow." That was, that was pretty cool because we were unsigned and we were pretty much the first unsigned band to play like. And right. So that was that was a nice thing. For those out there who are listening and they don't know what, what it is, Wiken uh, is a giant camping festival that is just heavy metal and it's huge. It's one of the biggest in the world. And like to play is a huge honour and like it's huge for your band pretty much. And Vanishing Point were one of, if not the first Australian band to play there, I believe. I, I'm I not think sure. they were actually the second band to play. Yeah, because Pegasus played the, the year before that we uh, did. Yeah. So um, I think Pegasus actually holds that title. But I think maybe even Rose Tattoo might hold that title as well. So. Oh, really? But, you know, Wycombe's a massive festival. I mean, you got it's a festival where you're looking at, you know, I think minimum 80,000 people now. So... You know, I mean, next year's festival is already sold out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it's crazy, but it's it's a great festival, 
it's a great gathering of just like one of the metalheads. Yeah. Good bands. You know, the beer's good, the food's good, the camping's good. You know, everybody's having fun. There's <laughs> no complaints. Uh, so, how did you get on the bill? Like, how did you... Uh, who did... How did you contact someone to get on the bill? We paid a lot of money. We did a lot of praying. We did a lot of pleading. And we did a lot of bribing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, actually, the, the honest truth was, is um, pretty much it was our ex-management... Um, had quite a bit to do with it, you know. What I mean, that was like you know, really pushing for us to get on there. And, uh, and basically, what had happened was, um, you know, by a strike of luck, you know, we actually did get a spot on there. I, I, I don't know how we did it. I suppose Steve Ravick, our ex-manager, probably would say it to this day. Like even he didn't know how he did it, but it happened. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it was, it was just one of them. It was one of them good luck stories, more or less. It was just a lucky story. We were in the right place at the right time, and there was an offer for us to play, and 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 we took it. You know, we um we didn't get paid for playing it. In fact, we had to pay to you know go over there, and we we paid for our own tickets for accommodation, and flights, and take our gear there, and like that. We paid for all of that ourselves. You know, we didn't get paid by working whatsoever, but it was an amazing experience, and to play. In front of back then, probably about thirty-five thousand people, forty thousand people was awesome, you know. So um, it's just one of them things, you know. Like you know, I hope that one day we can probably repeat the experience. But um, time will tell. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll see whether there's a band. You know, there's there's so many bands that are now playing. Then there's so much competition. You know, of course. So you know, vanishing points like this. Small fish in a massive pond, you know. So, <laughs> look, if we get to play it, fantastic. If we don't, hey, man, it's cool. We, we did it years ago, and I'm happy about that, you know. Uh, very cool. I was actually going to say, will you ever try and get there again? But you answered that before I even got to ask. Um, well, truth be known, we're actually going to try to get there for next year. But, you know, it's, it's one of them things that... Um, uh, until you know, until we like, no, we we, we we won't be able to really say much. But at the same time, you know, with the management we've got over in Germany at the moment, that we are looking at getting over there. And we're trying to at least have a spot in the show because, or in the festival, because the situation is more or less that um, we've got a publishing deal, um, and the publishing deal has picked up some work through the advertising for Wacken the commercials for Wacken Festival, and our music's been featured on the on the commercials. Oh, okay. So I had friends that were in Wacken this year, um, just recently in August, and they said that on the massive screens you could see like, this commercial come up for Wacken 2015, and it starts with the guitar playing that I did for April, the acoustic playing, and then it just jumps straight into Distant as the Sun, just the music, because I did get a version of the album without the vocals um, as for advertising, etc. And one of my mates said, he goes, I haven't seen anybody stand there. And like your son got, you know, like 60,000, 70,000 people glued to this screen. And people's like, you know, get into the music as well. So that was like, you know, that's a really cool thing. You know, hopefully we can now, it's like, you know, make it a reality and get back over there and actually play those songs live to the people. So, because a lot of people know the riffs now, more or less. Yeah. So, you know, we want to introduce the song to them and the band to them as well. <laughs> 
Well, that's a pretty massive foot in the door, really. I mean, like having your music on their ads, it's pretty much a shoe in that you're going to be there. Oh, hopefully. Touch wood. Well, I'm hoping, man. I'm hoping. You know, it's um, it's a thing. It's like, you know, that's the way the publishing runs to a degree. But, you know, whether it's a, it's a definite shoe in the door remains to be seen. Like, you know, I'd love to say, oh, man, for sure, definitely we're going to go. But, you know, it's it depends on what the circumstances are and if they should do make an offer for us to come and play. I mean, you know, we've already pretty much let it be known to them that we do want to come over and play. And, you know, we don't care how much we've got to pay to get over there for tickets. We'll pay. We'll save up the money and just go. It's You know, it'll be a week or two weeks away or a weekend away, but we get to play the festival. We get to play in front of... Um, so many cool people, you know, and, and, you know, network and, you know, and catch up with a lot of people that we know from overseas as well for so many years. So it'd be lovely to get back there. Well, like, from a personal standpoint, you guys are, like, vanishing point. Uh, huge in the Australian scene for the fact that you have played Viking, uh, Viking. you have played overseas and you do, do record and tour immensely. If you know what I mean, like you you do all those major tours overseas, etc. That's the thing. It's and thank you very much for the compliment, man. I, I think that you know now it's pretty much um, in Australia without discounting what we've done, but also not not discounting what other bands have done too. It's a relatively low level playing field because it is uh, in, in a sense easier to do these things now. But there's no denying that, you know, probably, you know, 10 years ago, it was a situation where we had to, um, you know, it's like spread our wings first, most of all, overseas. And, and, we, and we didn't make it a secret that, you know, we wanted to go and do something in Europe first, you know, um, because in Australia, you know, we were, we were trying to do gigs back then. And I think the furthest we got to was Sydney, you know, and we played with Dungeon back then. We supported Dungeon in Sydney, and that was really cool. But... We wanted to spread our wings more, and it, was, it came to the situation that, um, okay, obviously at that stage, because we were so much younger and we were so much more inexperienced, I suppose to a degree we weren't probably taken seriously. And so hence the reason why we did say, okay, you know, fuck this, we're going to go overseas and do it, and do it properly, and we don't care how much it's going to cost. We'll get a loan, we'll do it, because we believe in it. And I suppose, in, in a sense, when we came back, then people just went, hey, you know, well, this band actually has done it. You know what I mean? They have worked their asses off um, back then, and um, we got a little bit of credibility, a little bit of support there, which is nice and respect. Um, you know, we've supported a lot of bands in Australia, um, supported a lot of international bands. Um, everyone from Nightwish to Iron Maiden and, and Dragon Force and all that, and we're... we're we have been a band that's, you know, has no problem with getting on a bus or a plane, whatever, and doing a tour, you know what I mean? And we're actually more or less a band that's happy to do a tour where there's at least four or five minimum shows, if not more. Yeah. You know, it's um, at the moment now you have this thing in Australia where you have, where you have a lot of international bands coming up. But in each city, in each city you know, to keep the cost down, to keep, keep the costs down, the promoters just put a band from that city, which is fine. But the thing, the problem is that band from that city is never going to be able to really branch out to the other states. And, that, and, and that's how, I suppose, Vanishing Point became known back then because 
we were willing to go to the other cities. I mean, we toured with Dragon Force. We played, oh, it was in Sydney, you know, Adelaide, Brisbane, Perth, Melbourne, of course. Then we went over to Auckland. We went to Auckland in New Zealand for one night to play a show overnight to play half an hour, 40 minutes supporting Dragon Force. Nobody knew of us, but we made a bit of an impression. We flew back the next day home. You know, that's, that's how we used to operate. I mean, you know, now it's a little bit harder, of course, because we're all parents and grown up and stuff like that as well. But, you know, we're the type of band that, you know, is used to touring, yeah. you know. Um, of course, now with, with the album that's just come out this year, we've done already a little bit of touring. We've done uh, our first New Zealand tour, um, done some shows in Melbourne, done a show in Adelaide. Uh, just trying to think now, we were trying to get to Sydney, we we're trying to get to Brisbane. Um, and trying to get to Perth for this year, but we just couldn't. It just couldn't get there, you know, because of finances. And basically, you know, it's a pretty hard slog to go and fly up to Brisbane or whatever, and um, you know, play for a door deal, and you're going to like make a loss of maybe two and a half, three thousand dollars, you know. So, you know, that's a, that's a bit of a serious thing. But we've already done New Zealand, and we're off to Japan in November for our first headlining show. So, um, look, you know. Um, for some old codgers like us, man, we're, we're still going okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was actually going to ask you about uh, overseas crowds pretty much. Have you ever noticed a difference compared to Australian crowds? Are they radier here or radio like in Europe, for example? Um, I think that the, the, the rowdier the crowd is is basically on 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 how much you put into it and, and how much energy you're willing to give that crowd and how much they're willing to give as well. Um, look, you know, there's, there's, there's no denying that in some places in Australia you can play to the, to the people who just stand there with their arms folded and not even acknowledge the end of the song, whatever, or not even say anything. It's just like, okay, we must really suck. <laughs> and, you know, that happens, um, but that happens overseas as well. But I would definitely say the rowdiest crowds that I've ever played to from experience has been in um, Spain and Italy. Yeah. Uh, those crowds have been like nuts. It's, it's equivalent to like, um, if you can imagine like a really rowdy soccer game with a rowdy soccer audience, you know, spectators, that's what an Italian or a Spanish crowd is like. They're just amazing. <laughs> Yet at the same time too, we've had some shows, you know, even the show that we had in Melbourne just recently for our album launch, People getting into it. People were really enjoying it. You know, there was people up the front sweating with us and all that. And that was good, you know what I mean? Because for, for, for a home crowd, sometimes Melbourne can be quite conservative as well. So, um, you know, I, I would definitely say that every place that we've played at, um, it has its good things and sometimes its negative things. But in, in, in general, the, the, the response we get from from playing in places all over the world, including home, it's generally it's very positive. You know, it's there's never been an experience where I've walked off stage and just gone, you know, what that was really shit out, or you know, what we were playing to zombies or anything like that. It's never been like that. There's been some kind of interaction either which way. So, you know, as long as there's that interaction, I'm I'm happy about it, and the guys seem happy about it. So, you know, it means we must be doing something right. <laughs> so, uh, uh, I'm. Was talking to uh, Greg Troll from Dreadnought a few weeks ago, and I talked to a few yep. other metal artists like Dave Haley from Sacroptic and Matt Young from King yep. Barrett and stuff. And a lot of people are under the assumption that uh, 
Mosh pits these days are completely different, and uh, Greg called them pit ninjas. The guys that just go in there and start flailing their arms around for no reason. I want to ask you in a very uh, uh, out there way: Is the art of moshing a lost form? Like, is it is moshing a lost art form? Uh, is, is it a lost art form? <clears throat> I think it's um. Look, to be honest with you, I mean, like, you know, the only time that I've really witnessed a mosh pit at a VP gig was in Italy, and that was back in 2001, and all of us pretty much stood there stunned because it was for a mid-tempo song as well. <laughs> so it was like, what the fuck are you people doing? You know, there was like this circle pit forming, but, you know, hey, they enjoyed it, you know. Um and it was it, it was it was a really good vibe. I, I tend to find that you know um, with moshing these days, it, it should go by the old way of thinking. If somebody's on the ground for too long, help them up. Yeah. If somebody's standing up on the ground for too long, help them down. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about balance. But I don't think that it should be violent in any which way. I think that moshing. In general, as a good as a, as a form of getting negative energy out and sweating, it's like just a massive. It's like a massive heavy metal aerobic session. Yeah. <laughs> right. So everybody's sweating. Everybody stinks. Hey, it's a metal gig. You know that's what's going to happen. At the same time, too, I tend to believe, and I do. Well, I do believe, and I, and I hope that I will stand. You know that, that I don't need to stand corrected on this. I do believe that metal, metal metal fans in general are really responsible and help the brothers out or help the sisters out. Like if somebody's you know been injured in the mosh pit, or whatever, they help each other out. Yeah. I don't think that the mosh pit in any which way should be uh, an open avenue or a catalyst for somebody just to you know fucking go burka and you know run around with their arms flying and punching people or hitting people randomly in the face or in the head because. That's not on, you know. And if we saw that, we would stop straight away and just go, "Dude, out! Security, get this guy!" Because, you know, if we kept on playing and some guys going ape shit and hitting people, then we would look like idiots as well. Yeah. And we don't condone that, you know. What I mean, if people want to let that negative energy um, in the mosh pit and do it sensibly, fine. Um, concerning stage diving, not that we've had many people stage diving, I do believe that. To a degree, if somebody's going to dive off the stage, for God's sake, make sure you're there to catch the guy. Because <laughs> I've seen people, you know, drop. I, I remember years ago, I was talking back in, oh, geez, I'm trying to think, 95 or 96, when Anthrax came to Australia um, for the second time, and they played at a venue in Melbourne called The Palace back then. And uh, we were in the mosh pit. The guitarist used to be in Mindscape, Jason and myself, we were in the mosh pit. I'll never forget, this guy came out of nowhere and ran up off the stage and ran to do a jump, and nobody caught him. I'll never forget that feeling, that thump vibrate through my feet on the floor. You could feel it. It was just like somebody had dropped like a lead bomb. And I don't know what happened to him, but security seemed to be really busy, whatever, and they got him out of there. But I just thought that sucked, you yeah. know, because nobody caught the guy. Um I also believe, though, at the same time, too, that, and this is on the other side of the coin, I, I do believe that security, if, if, if the gig's getting really routed, that the security should try to maybe sort of calm the crowd down to a certain degree because otherwise 
it's inevitable there's going to be a lot of injuries, you know, and, and that's the sad thing about metal gigs. But I hear more horror stories of, of, of people, you know, passing out or end up, ending up in blues, whatever, techno, rave parties, whatever, you know. So, yeah. you know, if people think that, you know, having metal gigs are bad, well, then, you know, go to an all-night rave and watch the people who are, like, you know, on some kind of illicit drugs or whatever trip out and all of a sudden they look at you and they think you're a walrus and they're going to ride you or they're going to punch on with you, you know. It's just stupid. Yeah. Well, like, uh, when was, was about letting the negative energy go, go and it was about having a beer and enjoying the music. That's yeah. about it. Yeah, that's you know? what I was going to say. When I was younger and I moshed with all my mates, it was just about getting your energy out, having fun, and like not coming out of it with any malice or, uh, in, uh, yeah, I might have copped a bruise here and there, but I wasn't because someone might punch you in the face and you give a shit, if you know what I mean. Oh, no, that's it, man. I mean, and, that, and that's the thing, too. I think it comes down to it that, you know, look, you go to a bush pit, you know, occasionally you get a bruise. Occasionally you get bruised up, whatever, here or there, but it's not like you're going to come out of a mosh pit completely punched up and battered or some shit, you know what I mean? And um, if, if somebody goes into a mosh pit, like I've seen guys that have been in mosh pits or gone into a mosh pit, and you can tell that this one dude who's going to go in that mosh pit, you can see it, you can just see the, re the reaction in their eyes and their face. You know that they're in, going in there to start something because they're amped up or they had that much booze and I just want to blow. And it's been really good because you've seen one guy go in there, all arms flailing, whatever, and punching on with some guy who's some innocent random dude just standing there watching the band, whatever, who's in this mosh pit. And it's been good to see a whole lot of metalheads, like five, six guys, just go up to this guy and grab him and actually yank him towards security and go and get this fucker out of here. Because <laughs> we, will, we will trash him, you know what I mean? Because that's not what it's about. But you see, there's some idiots who tend to go to middle geeks because they think, hey, it's a much better, you know, and I'm going to go in there and I'm just going to fucking kick ass. Yeah. Well, that's just stupid. <laughs> go in there, have fun. Sweat it out, whatever. Have a beer outside of the mosh pit. Don't take glass into the mosh pit, for God's sake. Yeah. But be responsible at the same time. Like, uh, one of the examples of it was I went to the last Tool tour. And uh, it even happened yep. on a larger scale. Like, uh, I was there and uh, someone in the pit was doing uh, the uh, flailing and the pit ninja stuff to Tool. And I couldn't get that. I'm like, Tool are a band that you sit there and you watch the show. You watch their laser shows yeah. and their films and you listen to the music. You don't go crazy like that. And people were trying to settle him down and he was just pretty much punching them for no good reason. Well, that's, that's, that's the thing, yeah. I mean, like, you know, with a band like Tool, not that I'm a, a fan of them, but I, I equate Tool to, like, a band like Pink Floyd or something like that, yeah. uh, for example. Like, you know, if Pink Floyd, not that they're Pink Floyd ever would because they're not touring anymore, but if Pink Floyd was to do a concert, you'd go to the concert for the whole experience, mm. you know? Yeah. The lighting, the sound, everything, you know? The the the, the dialogue, whatever, on the big screens, etc., and the band playing, of course. Um you know, if if you're gonna go to a to to a gig to mosh, you want to go to a flash gig, man. You want to go to a metal gig that's you know loud and aggressive and fast, whatever. That's where you're gonna go to a gig. You know, you're not gonna see it in a lot of black metal gigs because in a lot of black metal gigs, especially the symphonic stuff, the guys, you know, probably got longer hair than half the chicks there, and they probably got just as much makeup or they got necro paint on. So they're not gonna get on a mosh pit. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? So. 
the mosh pit you're going to get us like you know, like a Slayer gig. You might actually years ago when Iron Maiden played for the Fear of the Dark tour, there was a wicked mosh pit for that tour at. at, at um, I'm just trying to think of Festival Hall. Um, we were in it and it was great. You know, I mean, there was just people moving from side to side. It was like just a big wave of thousands of people just swaying, moving. You know, it was a good energy. Yeah. But you know, I, I think that you know, if somebody's going to go to a tour gig. You know, it's a mosh. It's equivalent to going to a Dream Theater gig to mosh. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it really does not make sense. It, my my theory is, if you listen to the record at home and it doesn't make you headbang or no, not necessarily headbang, but it doesn't make you want to get up and run, then you can't mosh to it. If you know what I mean. That's precisely correct. <laughs> uh, my uh, next question is kind of a uh, deep question. <laughs> uh, what got you into metal? Uh, ask me any question, man. It's not a problem. Yeah. I, what got you into metal? Was it like what music got you into metal? Like what bands? And was there a moment that you first heard a song and went, wow, I love that. I'm going to follow that music for the rest of my life. Because for me, I had that moment when I was younger, and there have been a few others that I've talked to that have had that moment, but did you have that moment when you were younger, or was that what you were explaining before? Um, it was pretty much, you know, with what I said before, like, you know, when I got into metal music, you know what I mean, it was because, you know, like, you know, back then when I was on a holiday in Poland, like I was there for three and a half months over, you know, winter, you know, back in 82. And so, you know, you go to bed one night, man, and it's outside, it's it's raining and looks terrible. You wake up the next morning and you've got snow that's, you know, past your kneecaps in height, you know. So it's, it looks like a winter wonderland, but at the same time, too, it's very short days and it's very depressing. So, um, you know, I was like, you know... Getting bored, I suppose, to a degree, and it wasn't until my cousin Adam, you know, played me some of this music. He said, "Have you ever heard this music?" And I said, "No." And of course, I knew of Kiss, but that was it, you know. And um, I heard the Scorpions' Blackout album. And I was just, I was just blown away, you know. And of course, it was that was alongside Number of the Beast. And probably several, years, or a couple of years later, I heard Metal Health from Quiet Riot, um, and of course Metallica. Um, and then further down the track, of course, it was Queensryche and Dream Theater, you know. So um, my my CD collection, my vinyl collection is, um, it's very, it's, it's relatively diverse. I've got everything from black metal to death metal to, you know, AOR and cock rock in there, you know what I mean, and, and progressive metal. It doesn't worry me. Then I've also got stuff like Tori Amos and also Celtic music like Lorena McKenna or Clannad in there. So... You know, my music tastes, you know, are quite varied, you know, and it's not like I listen to metal every day. Yeah. I don't, you know, I, I'm probably the guy who actually drives around the car most of the time and doesn't have any form of music on the car whatsoever. I might have the radio on talkback, or most of the time I just enjoy my songs and I just like to drive and cruise. Um, and, you know, because I come up with music, I suppose, you know, I don't want to have too much that's going to bias me, you know. Yeah. I enjoy listening to music, but I enjoy listening to music, you know, when I'm always in the mood, when I'm in the mood for it. I'm not not always in the mood for listening to music, you know. So, But with, with heavy metal in general and, um, and getting into it and then probably further down the track playing guitar, it was... 
it wasn't a thing that I was sitting there going, you know, I want to be a rock star or I want to tour the world, you know. I mean, I've toured Europe and all that and played in heaps of awesome places and achieved some really cool things. But it was more like, you know, I'd like to travel a bit and, you know, explore the world. It's like, you know, explore different cultures more or less and learn a bit about the world and learn a bit about myself, you know, through my experiences more or less. And um, and I'm grateful for what I've got, you know. I've, and that was pretty much my plan from when I was a teenager. I was thinking, like, you know, if I can make a shot of it or if there's any opportunity in the future, then I will definitely, you know, give it the best I can. I'm not going to, like, you know... Um, dangle a carrot in front of myself, you know, I mean, I'll have a band dangle a carrot or, you know, cash and go, oh, that's where it is and that's where the money is and that's going to happen. It never happens that way because, you know, the honest truth is if you're a musician, you're touring, whatever, majority of the time you're struggling for money. So I had to be realistic. No, no, I had to have a job here and now I'm married and I've got kids um, and I pay my bills like everybody else, but I still have an opportunity to go on tour from time to time, providing that it's not too long away from home um, and, you know, and, and that everything's balanced to a degree, you know. I mean, that that's all I wanted to do and I knew that from a younger age. You know, I, I knew from a younger age that I wanted to travel more or less. Um, I didn't want to get involved in the in the alcohol or like drug culture that a lot of people in my age back then involved themselves in. You know, I mean, I practiced a guitar pretty much and I was a bit nerdy as a kid, but, um, you know, I, I just wanted to play. You know, and and with that came touring. You know, fortunately, and and I'm still here to a degree, and I'm happy that there is interest. You know, still after all these years, I'm, you know, yeah. oh, what can I say, man? I'm just humble. I'm just humble about what I've achieved, and I'm humble about what I've experienced. And you know, if it was all to end tomorrow, I can still sit here and go, you know what, that was really cool, and I'm happy about that. Yeah. Well, finishing point. Uh, as far as Australian metal goes, has had a very impressive career, like extremely impressive career. Thanks, man. And yeah, that's pretty much the best way I can put it. Really, it's yeah, there. Uh, it's very rare to see a band of your stature. Of uh, it's very rare to see another band reach your stature. If you know what I mean. Oh, to be honest with you, I reckon that some of the bands now these days have probably surpassed or fully achieved. Like, I think if you look at bands like King Parrot and Psychoptic, you know what I mean? Them bands are definitely bigger than us, um, you know, within that, like that, within that structure of music. Um, I think you've got bands like Voyager as well doing, you know, good things as well. So, you know, I suppose one, at one stage we were really, you know, really pushing forward with it. But at the same time, too, I'm just happy to be part of the... The, the the scene that's, that's having a lot of people having some really good luck, you know what I mean? And and, and I'm happy to be part of the scene of the bands that's like, you know, relatively hardworking, you know? Yeah. Um, for us, it's always been a thing that, you know, to go and play overseas or to go and tour or to do albums, it costs a lot of money. It, it costs a lot of time and it, and you've got to make sacrifices to do it. You know, it's not just like, you know, opportunities always come up. It's it's not that case at all. You've, you've got to make it happen for yourself to a degree. And at the same time, too, you've got to save up a lot of money. You have to have a job to sustain this type of um, part-time semi-professional career as a musician because it's not going to pay your wage. It's not going to pay your bills in the day. So, you know, with that being said, I'm happy with the moderate success we've had in the Australian scene. Like, you know, I remember the days when we used to sell three or four, five thousand copies of each album. You know what I mean? And, 
I'm happy that we had those days, you know. Now it's 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 not as much, but you know, hey, we still get to play alive, and we still get to play, you know, in front of really good, decent crowds, and we still get invites to play at festivals, and so. You know, I'm happy about that, man. You know, at the end of the day, I'm just happy to be here still playing music after all this time. Well, uh, a couple of years ago, you actually headlined Dying Day in Wagga Wagga. Uh, what song did you yeah. end up covering? We ended up doing Cowboys from the Hill, surprisingly. Oh, okay. <laughs> it's... It was... It was a thing, I remember even LT and Lord Tim was standing there just going, what, you're kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> he just went, no way, and he stood there, and he goes, man, that was awesome, but he would never expect to hear Mainstream point to a cover of Cowboys from Hell, but we did, and, and, and that was really cool. It was, it was good fun. Um, but the thing is, we played just after Frankenbrock, and I'll never forget that... Um, Yeti from Frankenbrock, I mean, they all changed instruments, instruments on the last song. And Yeti from Frankenbrock stripped down from his shorts to his boxes. And then he stripped down completely naked and was playing a song and singing the song Naked, the last song. <laughs> and I'll never forget, it was hot in the room. It was like bloody 50 degrees in the room. We're about to go on stage after Frankenbrock. Silvio says to me, he goes... How the fuck are we going to top that? I'm going, I don't know, mate. I'll go, but I'm keeping my clothes on. <laughs> <laughs> well. <laughs> and, and it was just, it was amazing, but it was a really good gig. It was good fun, you know, and it was really nice to play Wagga after all these years because we've only played Wagga twice, but I do remember when we played the first time there as well, and that was at the home, ta- home tavern, but downstairs. And I'll never forget, that was a really cool crowd as well. Really close and in your face, but really responsive and reacting really positively to the songs and the music. So, yeah, it was good fun. Uh-huh. So, uh, we're nearly coming to the uh, end of this week's interview. Uh, I want to end on the final question. I always end every interview on this question. Uh, it's a multiple-choice question. you got to pick one. Uh, a, ask me a question. B, B asked a really strange or weird question by me, or C, give me the quote of the week for next week's show. Go B, come on, let's go to something really completely strange or random. Okay. <laughs> uh, I have to ask you, Chris, do you double dip your chips? Shit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <laughs> anybody who says that don't is a fucking liar. Oh, <laughs> uh, very cool. <laughs> that was a good answer. Yeah, yep, I do. And I don't care. Especially those crunchy ones. You know, like you get those ones that are like semi-hollow, but they're like more golden than the other chips. Yeah. And they're, they're crunchy. Man, I double dip them bastards big time, man. <laughs> if it's mayo or sauce, I don't care. But I double dip them and I don't care because it's awesome. <laughs> in fact, in, in regards to chips, I just had some chicken and chips tonight because it's a Saturday and my wife and I have been working today and it's just like we couldn't be bothered cooking dinner. So we had the chicken and chips to tell for the kids. And um, there were some of those um, crunchy chips there and I double dipped them. And I even double dipped them on my own plate. That's how metal I am. <laughs> but the thing is, though, I have this I have this sauce from a, like a continental delicatessen shop. It's this German sauce, which is um, it's ketchup sauce 
with a hint of curry in there. There's curry in the sauce. Yeah. So it's like this tomato curry type of sauce. Try dipping your chips in that, man. It's awesome. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, very good. And if you're really game, take the shortcut and get yourself just a whole bowl of chips, squeeze a whole lot of really good tomato sauce on it, then uh, get some curry powder and sprinkle some curry powder on top of that. Some people can't handle it, but man, that is awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Alrighty. So uh, that's the end of week one with uh, Chris, and uh, we're going to stay in line and record next week's show, and uh, we'll air it next week, obviously. But uh, thanks for doing the first interview with me, Chris. Thanks, Tom. But thank you very much for your interest, man. And, and hello to all the listeners out there. And um, I'm hoping you all guys all enjoy the music. And um, you know, thanks for you know giving me the opportunity to crap on and you know talk some shit about myself. And but most of all, you know, promote the band and talk about the scene. I'm I'm rapid that you guys are fucking giving us this, you know that the airtime and uh, the interest is there. I'm I'm, I'm eternally grateful. Thank you. Oh, excellent. Please hang up and try again. This November uh, is the return of uh, Metal Fiesta, Metal Fiesta number six, I believe it is. Uh, off the top of my head, I'll get the poster off in a minute. But uh, Metal Fiesta six sees the, uh, for the first time in history, sees Prong coming to Australia. I cannot believe this, they're coming to Canberra. I'm going to Metal Fiesta. Uh, and hopefully I'm taking my recorder and hopefully I get to talk to a few bands. But uh at Metal Fiesta Six, uh as I said, headlined by Prong from the USA. Uh it's gonna be awesome. Uh supporting Prong will be our last enemy from Sydney, uh Mother's Slug from Melbourne, Rise of Avenus from Sydney. Wretch, Inhuman Remnants, Namaza, and Impertinent, Imperilment, Imperilment. Sorry, I uh, I think I need glasses. The font was a bit small. The posters on my phone, but uh, yeah, hopefully I'll go to that, and hopefully I'll get a few interviews from a few bands. I wouldn't mind getting one with Prong. We never know. I'll let you know how it goes someday in the future. But, uh, yeah, that's the... I'm going to have to wrap up the show there because we're now nearly at an hour and 15 minutes and it's supposed to be a one-hour show. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, fuck it. Oh, well. Can't be helped sometimes. But, uh, yeah, as always, if you want to get a hold of me, approach me on Twitter, Tom underscore... at Tom underscore Roberts 1989. Or go to the Facebook, facebook.com forward slash full metal lockdown. Or go to the email, full metal lockdown at gmail.com. Uh, discuss with me the uh, the moshing issue. I think that it's a lost art form. Discuss me with me whatever the fuck you want. Seriously. Is there a Guinness World Record for the most time I've thought a presenter has said fuck? During a podcast, because if there is, I fucking want to have a go at it, because I fucking believe I can fuck that shit the fuck up. Anyway, um, next week, 
part two of our interview with Chris Porchenko. If anybody is game enough to have the conversation with me, uh, I'll discuss it again next week about the art of moshing. Uh, I want to also go through Metal Down Under next week. I got the DVD. I have watched it. I am extremely impressed by it. Uh, but I will go through it next week when I have a bit more time. So uh, for now, goodbye. I love you.